So, what you are about to listen to is the audio from a video that I made. The video is on YouTube. I'll also put a link in the show notes. But if you want to go watch this podcast instead of just listening to it, you can by just going to my YouTube page. It's just Medusini, that's the name of the channel. Or you can still just listen to this podcast. There's really nothing that is super important for you to see visually. It's really just like examples of what I'm talking about. There's like one point where I mention like something that's happening on the screen and it's a video of Jamie Lynn just waving a knife around, but you'll get the idea. You don't really need to see it. You can just keep listening if you want to do that. But if you want to watch the video, uh, yeah, you can go do that and maybe like see my face. Um, if you've never seen it before, maybe that would be like a new experience for you. Uh, there's not really that much of my face in it though, because here's the thing. Um, when I was recording the video, I, I don't know what happened, but the audio file got fucked up somehow. So I like redubbed all of the stuff that I'm saying in the video. So it might look kind of weird. It might be a little uncanny valley because I, I did my best to, you know, over overdub some stuff, but it does look kind of weird, so I mostly just used a lot of extra clips and stuff to cover it up. But, um, yeah, this was just really more of, like, an experiment, because I do want to do more video stuff in the future. I have some ideas for things that I want to do on video, so this was just one way to, you know, get in there and figure out my own process for shit. Next time I'm definitely gonna be more careful with my audio file. I don't know what happened to that, but whatever. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want. There will be more content coming on that at some point. Uh, I also do just put all the podcasts up there too, just the audio. There's no visual aid for most of those. But some of them do have better audio quality because I don't have to compress the files the same way that I do when I just upload the regular podcast. So if you want to have another option for listening to the podcast, there is that. Also, one more announcement, I made a new Instagram page that's just for the podcast and just for updates and really I just wanted like a space where I could interact with the listeners a little bit more, like comment on current events and stuff and just post things related to pop culture and celebrities and just stuff that I think is fun instead of, you know, just having my own personal Instagram where my friends and family see everything I'm doing. That's not as fun. So I made a new one. It is at Medusini Girl. That's M-E-D-U-S-O-N-E-G-I-R-L. Medusini just by itself was already taken. So I have like seven followers or something on there. I just started it. But if you want to come and follow me there, I'm going to be posting more updates and stuff there because, you know, my schedule is just so infrequent with how often I can upload that uh, when stuff is getting ready or when it's taking a long ass time, I can update you there. So yeah, go follow me on Instagram, send me messages, comment on my shit, do whatever. Just, just be nice to me. That's all I ask. Just be nice or at least polite. You don't have to be like, nice, nice. Just don't be mean. Anywho, here's the episode.
So, in 2007, a woman who currently goes by the name Kara Cunningham uploaded a now infamous video in defense of Britney Spears following Britney's panned VMA performance of that year, along with increased public scrutiny that had been building up since the early 2000s. Kara's message was straightforward. Leave Britney alone! Please! <laughs> While Kara was relentlessly mocked for this, becoming one of the internet's earliest examples of a viral cringe figure, changing perspectives on celebrity culture, online bullying, and Britney Spears specifically has led to some retroactive acknowledgement that the leave Britney alone person was right all along. I'm so happy that it came out because I think- Leave Britney alone! He was right the whole time. Right. We right. all made fun of him. Kara's not such an unambiguous hero, though. Her post-2007 interactions with Britney Spears' celebrity hasn't always been so sympathetic, as exemplified in 2010 on an episode of The Rachel Ray Show. I want to know, first of all, did you ever hear from Britney Spears? I didn't, and I'm actually not a fan anymore. I'm, I'll say that here today on your show. Wow. Uh, she didn't even send me a fruit basket privately. No thank you, nothing. She should have sent me a fruit basket, Rachel. I'm not bringing this up to drag Kara. She experienced a lot of unjustified harassment due to her defense of Britney, and she had to deal with all the anti-queerness that permeated the culture of the 2000s and early 2010s. For the record, she is a Britney stan again. But Kara's 2010 response to Rachel Ray is representative of a problem that's plagued Britney Spears' career for decades. Even her most staunch defenders want something from her. They feel entitled to her time, attention, money, fruit baskets. Following the Free Britney campaign's ultimate achievement in terminating Britney's conservatorship in November of 2021, a faction of the community went on to express doubts as to the movement's true success once a freed Britney didn't quite do whatever their perfect idea of Britney would do. She didn't immediately go onto Instagram Live to answer every question fans have had for the last 14 years. She didn't break up with the boyfriends certain fans didn't like. Her social media output still doesn't meet their standards of what an idealized version of Britney would post. If Britney does absolutely anything that they don't like, she's under someone else's nefarious control. It's frustrating to think that people like this may be seen by some as representative for the Free Britney community, but the internet is a fast place and you're always going to find some weirdos lurking around stoking conspiracy theories and unfortunately getting enough engagement for their ideas to pollute the general discourse. As embarrassing as sections of Stan Twitter can be, the individuals hurting Britney the most at this current moment might just be members of Britney's own family, who've been on a Britney smear campaign since at least January of this year, but in a less direct way they've been planting these seeds for over a decade. The conservatorship Britney entered in 2008 was always predicated on the idea that she has a severe mental illness or disability one that prevented her from making basic decisions in her day-to-day -day life, but miraculously did not prevent her from releasing four studio albums, becoming a judge on The X Factor, 
guest starring on multiple TV shows, taking part in promo campaigns, embarking on four world tours, doing four years of a Las Vegas residency, releasing more than 20 new fragrances, creating a lingerie clothing line, speaking at charity banquets, etc, etc, etc. Whatever mystery illness Britney suffers from seemed to only stop her from obtaining the civil rights of an adult American, but never stopped her from making a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people. To be clear, I would never imply that Britney Spears doesn't have a mental illness. About 46% of Americans will experience some bout of mental illness at some point in their lifetime, and Britney's have been really open recently about her struggles with trauma. Whatever Britney is or isn't diagnosed with is none of my business, but those who benefited from her 13 and a half year long conservatorship have long weaponized her supposed instability as a way to dispel any concerns about the appropriateness of her captivity. They insist she's extremely unwell, but neglect to ever give any examples for how that unwellness manifests. So we have talked to a lot of people in her world she has never been formally diagnosed with being bipolar, mm -hmm. but there are signs that it that mimics is. that at the very least. Right. What does that even mean? Brittany has symptoms that mimic bipolar disorder, but not to a degree where she's actually qualified for the diagnosis? Like sometimes she's happy and energetic, and sometimes she's sad and lethargic? I know there's more to bipolar than that, but you could take the basic symptoms of any mental illness or disorder and stretch them to a degree where even a totally stable, healthy person sometimes mimics symptoms of a disease. See, without concrete examples of how Britney's illness works, it's impossible to determine what she could possibly have done to warrant the extreme measures that were supposedly taken to protect her. I'm not asking for concrete examples because it's none of my business, what I am asking for, though, is that those declaring that Brittany needs help either provide evidence for why they believe that, or they just shut the fuck up and deal with it privately. And Brittany's family has done neither of those things. Well, at least as of recent. Prior to July of 2021, the Spears family was pretty good at shutting the fuck up, which was kind of the problem. Suspicion around Britney's conservatorship existed within her fandom since pretty much the arrangement began, however it didn't take off on social media as a trending hashtag until 2019, when allegations that Britney was being held against her will in a mental health facility were made public. While Britney's fans were bringing picket signs outside the LA courthouse to protest the injustice, members of Britney's family were notably absent from the conversation. Lynn Spears was semi-active, she liked various free Britney Instagram comments, and accompanied Britney to a court hearing that May. But she didn't speak out directly, nor did she actually advocate for the conservatorship to end. Just that she should be more involved in its decision-making. The family member who provoked the most fan backlash, besides Jamie himself, was Britney's younger sister, Jamie Lynn. Britney and JL have long been marketed as celebrity siblings with a tight bond. For instance, Jamie Lynn collaborated with the Britney brand to release the worst song that carries Britney's name. You'll notice that I say Britney's brand and Britney's name for that one because Britney's voice on that track sounds suspiciously nothing like her. Much like most of the songs on that album, but that's a different topic. 
considering how close they were and the fact that Jamie Lynn had a decently sized platform of her own as the former child star of Nickelodeon Zoe 101, JL was in a much better position than her other relatives to publicly advocate for Britney's freedom. She just didn't. Not even to like a few Instagram comments like her mom did. While Free Britney was getting increased attention in the media, Jamie Lynn was promoting subscription boxes and baby bottle pops on her Instagram. Lick it, dip it and shake it. Lick it again, baby bottle pop, baby bottle pop. She also started promoting a Zoe 101 reboot that didn't exist. Uh, with the Follow Me music video, she contacted us and she's like, we're doing a, like, themes, the theme song, we're rebooting it, you know, right. it's gonna, this is going to be what it is for the show, like, it's going to be huge, um, we want you guys a part of it, you'll have, like, creative control of what you want to do, I want it to be collaborative, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, like, yeah, yeah hell so yeah, cool. here's, and the reboot's like, it's really coming full steam, so, like, weeks went by, and I'm like, so when do we start like talking about what we're gonna do and like right. what our characters get to do and stuff? And she's, oh, we'll let you know, we'll let you know. It's I kept feeling weirder and weirder. They wouldn't give us information. So I had my team reach out to Nickelodeon and then we found out basically like Nickelodeon wasn't a part of it at all. And oh, it wasn't a real reboot tea. thing. They were like, we are like, she's doing her own thing. This is all on her own. And I was like, oh, Wait, she, I was totally under the she's impression. She's a suspect. Yeah, and wow. um, okay. I was like, oh, okay, um, that makes things different. And I bowed yeah. out. She also said like, the, yeah, there was like no budget for it or anything. And then all you guys were doing, I don't know if you got paid or anything and you don't need to tell me, but <laughs> but I was yeah. like, yeah, this scene, yeah, I assumed you would get paid. Yeah, 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 it was more like, like- She literally is like, I'm sorry, there's no budget for the cast at all. And we were like, everyone, we're in a group chat together and they're like, like nothing like and she's like yeah i'm like but aren't you don't you have like jojo siwa and yeah. like Noah bag and everyone and she's like yeah they're all doing it on spec and i'm like oh okay i'm pretty <laughs> sure they weren't but like yeah so I, it was just lie after lie and then i was like you know good luck for the most part though that was the extent of the scrutiny jamie lynn wasn't talking about the conservatorship publicly and she also seemed to be pretty buddy buddy with one of free britney's main villains lou taylor but plenty of fans, myself included, were willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. She's not saying anything publicly, but we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Maybe she's supporting her sister privately in ways we can't see. Then, more stuff started to come out. For one thing, it became public that Jamie Lynn was briefly named a trustee of Britney's estate. Considering Britney had a conservatorship over her estate, that naturally made fans a bit suspicious. Wrong. Never involved in the conservatorship. Never, not once. There are legal documents that I can show you. Or you know what? Actually, what the media could responsibly put out there, but they don't give an F about that. No, let's get, let's, let's yes. talk this through though, because people assume that your name was tied into the conservatorship and so you're guilty. So can you explain why people think you were involved in this conservatorship. My sister asked me to oversee a trust if something were to happen to her. So Brittany asked you. Yes. Now, when I was approached by her team of lawyers or whatever, and they were like, well, you have to get a lawyer and do that. I was like, so I did not even follow through with these steps to be a trustee over that will or anything. And that never even had anything to do with the conservatorship. Despite her statements, fans have uncovered documents that allegedly show Jamie Lynn petitioning to move assets from Britney's trust into an account linked to Lou Taylor. 
Not only that, though Jamie Lynn claims to have never taken a penny of her sister's money, annual expense filings show that Britney footed the bill for multiple flights Jamie Lynn took during the conservatorship. Earlier this year, Britney's attorney additionally filed claims alleging financial misconduct on the part of Britney's conservators, one finding being that while acting as conservator, Jamie Spears paid more than $178,000 through Britney's estate to a business entity owned by Jamie Lynn's husband. Throughout the conservatorship, Jamie Lynn also made multiple references to a condo in Destin, Florida that quote-unquote, they own and vacation in, despite the fact that Jamie Lynn does not own a condo in Destin. Britney does, and has since the early 2000s. Even in a testimony from June of 2021, Britney complained that her family was vacationing in that condo while she was locked in a mental health facility she claims abused her. Now, a lot of that wasn't publicly known until well into 2021. Prior to that, one family member did offer audiences his own perspective on events when Brian Spears, Britney's brother, appeared on the As Not Seen on TV podcast to clarify some of the things circulating online. The only thing he did clarify, though, is that the Spears family... sucks? There's a movement called the the Free Britney movement, and it's it's huge, and it's got hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions. Are, are you familiar with that? You've seen it? I'm familiar with it. I mean, I'm not up to date. Um, I'm, my social media is not, like, I would say the best in the world. I think I have, like, four followers. So, like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not lying. So, well, um, I'll follow you after this. So go up 20, <laughs> that way I'll, you'll go up 20% today by me following yeah. you. So, so uh, even, but I am aware of it. And by the way, like, you know, just to see that kind of like interest in like people and our fans and people, and, you know, in society today, like to care that much about her and, uh, you know, our, every, you know, everyone in this family, it, we truly appreciate it. You know, um, it means a lot. Something you might notice in that clip is that Brian refers to the concern around Britney as coming from, quote, our fans, meaning fans of the Spears family as a whole? I can't say I've ever really been a fan of Brian, Jamie, or Lynn Spears. Jamie Lynn maybe when I was a child who watched Zoe 101, but I was really more of a Disney Channel kid anyway. My status as a Britney stan refers to my interest in one person, Britney Spears, but the Spears family has a habit of associating Britney's success with the family's success, indicating an entitlement to her achievements that may say something about how Britney's abuse within her conservatorship manifested. Jamie Spears once allegedly told Lynn that Britney is a racehorse who needs to be treated like one, likely meaning that she's the family's cash cow whose individual agency is of secondary concern after her talent has been sufficiently exploited for others' benefit. But, you know, in the end, it's done, it's been, it's been, it's been a great thing for our family, you know, to this point, and um, just trying to keep hoping for the best been a great thing for our family. Brian claims he doesn't quite know what the Free Britney movement is trying to accomplish, despite the movement's goal being pretty clear. Fans wanted to free Britney from her conservatorship. That wasn't a hidden motivation. We were very vocal. 
It seems though that Brian was either dead set on playing dumb to the allegation that Britney's civil rights were being violated, or he and likely his relatives just didn't really care. The way Brian talks about the conservatorship in this interview is so casual, it becomes evident he doesn't think holding someone in an unnecessary guardianship against their will is a big deal. Also, he's incredibly sexist. Have you ever seen anything that led you to be concerned that your sister was being held against her will? Uh, every day. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, like, when, the women in this family are very, very strong-minded and have their own opinion, and they want to do what they want to do. And as much as I admire that as a guy and being, like, one of two guys in this entire family, it kind of sucks, man. I'm not going to lie. So while Brian says the conservatorship was great for the Spears family, when asked directly what Britney thinks of it, he doesn't even hesitate with his answer. Uh, you must have said, you know, are you hoping this wraps up? You know, what do you want? Right, you had to have asked her about it. I mean, I mean, she's always wanted to get out of it. It's, you know, it's very frustrating to have, whether, whether it's someone's coming in peace to help or they're coming in with, you know, an attitude like, having someone constantly tell you to do something has got to be frustrating. So yeah, she's she's wanted to get out of it for quite some time. And if Brittany always wanted to get out of it, why did it take so long to get terminated? Why was it still in place when this interview was filmed? Here's the answer that Brian gives. Well, I mean, think about it. She's been surrounded by people and a team of people since she was 15. So... At what level does everyone just walk away? Or at, like, what level does that get reduced, you know? Right, but I, I, I'm gathering that what you're saying is that maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that maybe you, you ask her certain things, she answers, and you're, you're not sure that if she's answering, she's either being 100% truthful or if she, what, knows what she's saying? I'm just not Or clear. just like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know what she wants, but I'm just saying like, you know, at the end of the day, how, what is the reality of that? You know, like what would that be in practicality? Yeah, it, yeah, the practicality that oh, so you are you gonna call and make reservations for yourself today? Are you gonna like you know like? So there are two issues here. One is that Brittany has a whole team around her, and if she gets to make her own decisions and decides she no longer wants to do this shit, everyone will just have to let Brittany go, and the entire Brittany empire could fall apart. It's like Britney is a prisoner to her own success, not able to make personal decisions for her own life because it might affect the brand built around her name. And two, Britney won't know how to make her own dinner reservations. Is any person as famous as Britney Spears making their own dinner reservations? She can hire an assistant. Or... In the 13 and a half years that she was in the conservatorship, those in authoritative roles could have actively prepared her for what freedom would bring. Show her how her finances are run, give her the tools to manage her daily life. If the conservatorship was ever actually about her health and well-being, they would have been doing that, not holding random tasks over her head like, you can't be free, you don't even know how to make your own dinner reservations. As much as fans were clamoring for any information related to the conservatorship at the time this interview was filmed, Brian Spears was obviously not the person we wanted to hear from the most. But the woman at the center of this scandal wasn't able to speak publicly about her situation. Until June of 2021, that is. 
Your, your Honor, this is Ms. Wright. I did want to ask, we don't know obviously what Ms. Spears is going to say and we're happy that she's here today to address her concerns with the court, but if what she's going to say may impact her medical privacy, my client does hold those medical privacy rights and I would ask that we please seal the transcript and clear the courtroom so we can preserve those medical rights. I think it's really important. And, and it could be that she brings up issues related to her family and her minor children, and they have their own privacy rights. And I think anything said about them- I think them they've done a good also. job at, at exploiting my, my life and the way that they've done um, my life. So I feel like it, it should be an open court hearing and they should um, listen and um, hear what I have to say. Oh, okay, that was Ms. Spears speaking. That was me, yes. Okay, Brittany's testimony was simultaneously one of the most exciting and heartbreaking events I've ever experienced as a fan. As you could hear in that clip, whoever was recording the audio starts like breathing really heavily as Brittany begins to speak. And that's not an unwarranted reaction because by that point, Brittany had been barred from discussing the conservatorship publicly. Her social media went through the filters of her team who would not allow anything in reference to Britney's legal battles to be posted. While promoting her albums and other ventures, interviewers complained for over a decade about strict conditions that basically left their conversation scripted. In one incident in which Britney reportedly did mention her conservatorship in an interview with Jonathan Ross, multiple live studio audience members tweeted about the interaction, but said Jonathan quickly changed the subject to Britney's dismay, and the moment was fully cut from the aired segment. It was exciting to hear Britney's thoughts on her situation, but the things she alleged in her testimony put the extent of her abuse into perspective. She stated that her team put her on heavy doses of lithium very suddenly, which made her feel out of it and almost zombie-like. She said she was sent to a mental health facility against her will after insisting on a change to choreography in a rehearsal for her upcoming Vegas show. At the facility, she says they watched her change every day, took her phone and credit card, would not allow her to leave, and forced her to perform some kind of labor for 10 hours a day, 7 days a week. She also said that she was coerced into doing a world tour through threats that her own management would sue her if she didn't comply. This was especially intimidating since under the conservatorship, Britney was not able at the time to hire her own attorney. Related to this, she alleged that she had not been informed that she was able to petition for the conservatorship to end. One might wonder why in 13 years her court-appointed attorney didn't think to mention that, but her court-appointed attorney also allegedly encouraged her to not speak publicly about her experiences within the conservatorship or else she might be sued. Anytime she challenged the instructions of her team, she said she would be punished in some way. The doctor who treated her for years allegedly abused her so severely that she dropped to her knees and thanked God when he died. She said she wasn't able to see her friends or meet her boyfriend freely. Most disturbingly, she claimed that the conservatorship wouldn't allow her to get her IUD removed so she could try for a third child. Her life, body, and career were violated by the conservatorship that Brian says was a great thing for their family. And Brittany definitely had some shit to say about that family. There were six different nurse, nurses in my homes and they wouldn't let me get in my car to go anywhere for, for a month. 
Not only did my family not do a goddamn thing, my dad was all for it. Anything that happened to me had to be approved by my dad. And my dad only, he acted like he didn't know. That I was told I had to be tested over the Christmas holidays before they sent me away when my kids went to home to Louisiana. He was the one who approved all of it. My whole family did nothing. It's not fair they're telling me lies about me openly. Even my family, they do interviews to anyone they want on news stations, my own family doing interviews and talking about the situation and making me feel so stupid. And I can't say one thing. All I want is to own my money for this to end and my boyfriend um, to drive me in his fucking car. And I would honestly like to sue my family, to be totally honest with you. And considering my family has lived off my conservatorship for 13 years, I won't be surprised if one of them has has something to say and go forward and say, we don't think this should end. We have to help her, especially if I get my fair serve in turning exposing what they did to me. This moment is what finally led Jamie Lynn to break her silence, first through a video on her Instagram story. I mean, this is my freaking big sister before any of this bullshit. I don't care if she wants to run away to rainforest and have a zillion babies in the middle of nowhere or if she wants to come back and dominate the world the way she has so many times before. Because I have nothing to gain or lose either way. I love that quote. It really reminds me of the people who will say they're not racist by saying things like, I don't care if you're white, black, or purple. Like, cool, you've defended your alleged colorblindness in the abstract. But how about you say something about what's actually happening right now? Britney's not trying to run away to the jungle and have a zillion babies. She's trying to get out of your father's abusive control. Talk about that. And maybe skip the fake tears? I've made a very conscious choice in my life to only participate in her life as her sister. As an aunt to this boy. Later, Jamie Lynn was caught sending DMs to fans in which she accused Britney of being unwell. Additionally, her husband DM'd fans saying that Britney would be broke and dead without the help of her father, and that she couldn't possibly have been the victim of abuse because she takes private jets and vacations wherever she wants. I hate to even employ this word because it's been so overused in online discourse, but it's really like they're gaslighting Britney so hard, it has to extend to her fans too. Ignore all the horrible things Britney said happened to her, that doesn't matter. What does matter is that nice things happen to her sometimes too, like getting to travel in a private jet. Real abuse victims don't travel in private jets, she's just ungrateful. If that weren't a disgusting enough defense of Britney's conservatorship, more allegations began to emerge amplifying fans' understanding of how absolutely horrendous Britney was treated by her father and his co-conspirators for over a decade. A few months after the New York Times released its first documentary on the Free Britney movement, Framing Britney Spears, the filmmakers came back with a jaw-dropping follow-up that I still don't think gets enough attention. Framing Britney Spears helped publicize the Free Britney movement and move it further into the mainstream, but it was mostly a rundown of the general issues, barely exploring some of the most important information fans had already uncovered. The second film, Controlling Britney Spears, however, contained allegations that had yet to be made public, and the picture that it painted of Britney's daily life was bleak. Multiple former members of Britney's team came forward with claims regarding the control Britney had been under during the conservatorship. 
Former head of wardrobe for Britney's live shows, Tish Yates, recounted occasions in which Britney was prevented from making basic decisions about her life and spending, like being told she couldn't eat sushi two nights in a row or buy a pair of Skechers at the mall because it was too expensive. Others, including her promotional tour manager, Dan George, claim Britney was socially isolated by her own management team. The most damning allegations came from Alex Vlasov, a former employee of Black Box Security, which oversaw Britney's entire security team. According to Alex, security was in charge of ensuring that Britney did not leave her current location until she had taken the medication her medical team had prescribed her. To be clear, though conservators of a person are tasked with overseeing their conservatee's daily life, including their medical care, within a probate conservatorship, it is not legal to force someone to undergo any kind of medical treatment, which includes forcing them to take a specific medication. So that's a very serious accusation against Team Khan, and it's still not the worst thing Alex alleged. In addition to the forced medication, Brittany was also under strict surveillance. First, through her phone usage, which Team Con tracked by mirroring Britney's iPhone activity through her iCloud login. All of her communication was watched, including conversations with Britney's court-appointed attorney. It's since been reported that Britney's team would go through her phone and delete text messages or block phone numbers so Britney couldn't read certain messages sent to her. They also allegedly changed phone numbers in her contacts so that when Britney tried to text or call someone, the messages would go somewhere else and Britney wouldn't know why people weren't getting back to her. From Britney's perspective, a lot of people abandoned her. From an outsider's perspective, Britney was just unreachable. One such outsider was Lance Bass, a former member of NSYNC who'd been close with Britney prior to her conservatorship. In 2020, Lance gave his controversial perspective on the then rising Free Britney movement. But the one thing that I do know is I know Jamie Lynn, her sister. And to me, if Jamie is okay with everything going on, I feel like she really has her sister's back during all of this. So I trust her to, you know, give us the real information. And just me saying that was no good. <laughs> I mean, they went after me. It was, it was pretty bad. Lance said straight up that he didn't find Britney's situation to be alarming due to his relationship with Jamie Lynn and his trust in her to give him adequate information around the case. After Britney testified in court to the abuse she'd suffered, however, Lance's husband Michael tweeted in response to those criticizing Lance's lack of support for Free Britney, saying, He was blatantly being told lies by everyone around her in her camp for years people he trusted and knew for years. All of her friends were told the same lies, which is why most never spoke up over the years until recently. They would continually change her phone number and even change the numbers of her friends and family in her phone so she'd think she'd be texting them with ultimately no response, when in reality, they were the wrong numbers altogether. He wasn't trying to discredit. He believed Jamie Lynn because he never had any reason to not trust her. Maybe he's naive, but he truly believed she has Britney's best intentions. The notion that he was purposely trying to discredit her to hurt her is just ridiculous. So not only does it seem like Jamie Lynn didn't fight against Britney's abuse directly, she may have also been a part of the effort to quiet concerns from those who were trying to help. Still, none of that compares to the biggest bombshell of the controlling Britney documentary. Alex revealed to the New York Times that Black Box Security, at the instruction of Britney's conservators, placed a recording device in Britney's bedroom without her knowledge or consent. 
So one thing that's revealed is that this employee kept a file he was told to delete, uh, 180 hours of audio recordings. Where is that content now and what's happened to it? So we reviewed a copy of the audio recording in order to authenticate that it was real and it was really disturbing to listen to. You know, Brittany's being recorded in her bedroom and her interactions and conversations with her kids, her boyfriend and others were secretly recorded. From statements subsequently made by Matthew Rosengard, Brittany's current attorney, it appears that Brittany and her legal team were not even aware of the existence of these recordings until the New York Times documentary premiered. It may seem strange that all of this could happen to someone with as public of a platform as Britney Spears. Theoretically, if she was so unhappy in her situation, she could have just gone rogue on stage at any time during one of her tours or Vegas residencies. If she yelled to her millions of fans that she was being abused and held in an illegitimate conservatorship, perhaps public backlash could have freed her sooner. That's what a lot of people thought at the time, and maybe still think now? Anyone who's been in an extremely abusive situation likely knows, however, that things are never that simple, especially when you undermine a person's natural autonomy and put them in constant fear of retaliation. And Britney's conservators knew how to retaliate. Britney would say, hey, is there any way we could have sushi for dinner? And I would hear Robin say, you had sushi yesterday, it's too expensive, you, you don't need it again. Maybe there's a lot more behind that, but I'm only seeing the outside. But if she pushed back a little bit, they pushed harder. And then the yelling got louder. Then Jamie would come up and say, no, you're not, you're not having this. And then it would escalate to not having the boys. The idea that custody over Britney's two sons was used against her in the conservatorship is not a new allegation. While trying to hire her own attorney to get out of the conservatorship, a leaked voicemail from 2009 features Brittany making this allegation herself. Hi, my name is Brittany Spears. Um, I called you earlier, um, but I'm calling again because I just wanted to make sure um, during the process of ending the conservatorship that um, my father has threatened me several times that um, you know, he'll take my children away. I just want to be guaranteed that everything will be fine with the process of um, you guys taking care of everything and um, things just being the same as far as my um, custodial home. That's it. 53 a.m. Hi, this is Brittany Spears. It's 70 to 8 to um, I just want to have this conservatorship. I've been blocking up by visitation of my babies. That is conservatorship. I'm confined, restrained, and stripped of my civil rights, and I'm demanding the state of California to review this case because I feel it's illegal. A separate piece from the New York Times in 2016 echoes this claim as well, with attorney Adam Streisand being quoted as saying, Brittany wanted to oppose the conservatorship, but she was also extremely worried about her kids and seemed to understand that the best thing to do to see her kids was to accept it. It's unclear who knew what while it was going on, but by the end of 2021, most of the damning information we now have about the conservatorship was public, meaning no one in Britney's family had any excuse to not support Britney's freedom or publicly speak out against the abuse she endured. And yet... So Jamie Lynn Spears wrote a book. According to her, it was in the works for about two years prior to its release, but I don't believe that for a single second. Maybe she briefly had the thought, hey, I should write a book two years before it was published, but I highly, highly doubt she was actively writing or even planning it for that long. 
partially because it's bad, and at 228 pages with a generous font size, it is hella underdeveloped. If this is the product of two years of hard work, then good for Jamie Lynn for admitting that, to be honest, because I would never. I don't want to get too conspiratorial, the fandom has had enough of that, but... The book was announced with the title I Must Confess in July of 2021, just about two weeks after Britney's explosive testimony at the end of June 2021. I think that testimony is what prompted Jamie Lynn to start writing a quote-unquote memoir as a response to the allegations her sister made. That is both what the content and the quality of the content implies a hastily written attempt to preserve a declining reputation, not a two-year-long retrospective look at someone's life. Though Jamie Lynn claims the book isn't about her sister, but about her own journey, I have full authority to call bullshit on that because I read it and it's definitely about Britney. Let's acknowledge for one thing that the original title, I Must Confess, before it was changed to Things I Should Have Said, is itself a reference to lyrics in Britney's debut single, Baby One More Time. Jamie Lynn said later that that was actually not the original title, it was just a placeholder her publisher used before choosing the official title, but like... What? Why would they do that? Lots of publications ran the story announcing Jamie Lynn's new book with that title. That was the name used on websites to pre-order the book. Why would whoever was in charge of that marketing give publications any title other than to be determined if there wasn't an official name yet? And why would they give them that name in particular? Let's note too that when the book actually came out, people saw stickers on store shelves that said, I must confess. So yeah, that was the original name. And truly, that already displays so much fucking nerve. To name your book after lyrics in your sister's song? I would suggest that Jamie Lynn use lyrics from one of her popular songs, but the only one people know is the Zoe 101 theme song, and guess what? It was written by Britney Spears. Moving on to the content within the book, I did the math. When you add up every mention of her name or the words my sister, the number of direct references to Britney average out to about one per page. And from the jump, Jamie Lynn is clearly jealous of her sister. I usually try not to ascribe intentions to other people because I don't know what's going on in somebody else's head or what's prompting them to behave in certain ways, but the envy just drips off the pages in such an obvious way that I can't believe Jamie Lynn didn't realize how petty this book makes her look. The first few mentions cast Britney in a good light, saying that Britney was like a second mother to her and super talented young performer, but things switch up pretty quickly. She writes, Britney had a dream, and that dream was going to affect all of us. Although she remained unaffected early on, my sister's life became more demanding as her notoriety grew. Everyone made sure her needs were met, and we all became responsible for helping her as she reached a greater level of success. We needed to make her happy and productive. I was so young as she emerged on the world stage that I didn't notice how things had begun to change. My parents always expected me to do as I was told. At first, that didn't seem unusual in the parent-child dynamic, but I was taught to defer to Brittany or behave in a way that would make things easier for her. Mom said stuff like, come on, Jamie Lynn, we don't want to upset your sister. It could be something as simple as, let Brittany do that first, or if it's good for your sister, it's good for all of us. 
That passage starts on page 9. Now, I don't have any siblings, but I do know that it's perfectly natural and normal for there to be some jealousy between two sisters, especially when one of those sisters becomes a world-famous pop star. Feelings of envy would be absolutely fine and even healthy for Jamie Lynn to explore while writing about her upbringing, but that would only be if she actually recognized those feelings and was able to contextualize them as negative, which she doesn't. Jamie Lynn displays no amount of self-awareness in this book. Instead, she allows her overpowering resentment toward her sister to shape the narrative of her own life in a way that's both sad for her, because I don't think she's in touch with her emotions at all, and revealing for why she didn't care that much when her sister was being literally trafficked by her own father, coerced into performing labor that financially benefited him and others on the Britney brand payroll. Almost every mention of Britney, which, again, the book is dominated with references to Britney, is an attempt for Jamie Lynn to justify the conservatorship. So let's go through them. At page 40, Jamie Lynn makes vague allusions to Britney being exhausted and changing. She gives no specifics as to what these changes encompassed or if they were even that alarming or abnormal for a person who was aging out of adolescence and into adulthood as Britney had been at the time. Change is normal, but on page 41, Jamie Lynn escalates her description by calling Britney disturbed and paranoid at times. She says Britney would lash out for no apparent reason, but she offers no concrete examples of this. Based on my own life experiences, whenever someone tells me a woman got mad at them for no reason, I usually assume there was a reason. Luckily, we get some more specific examples of Britney's quote-unquote erratic behavior on page 59 when Jamie Lynn accuses Britney of changing yet again. Britney's infractions include 1. She started smoking cigarettes and drinking cocktails. 2. She looked disheveled. 3. She didn't like a dress that Jamie Lynn liked. 4. She, a girl in her early 20s, wanted to do things separately from her family, and five, she was paying less attention to Jamie Lynn. Then on page 61, we get the first account of some attempted substance when Jamie Lynn accuses Brittany of bringing a knife into a bedroom with the two of them as a result of her paranoia. For no particular reason, here's a video of Jamie Lynn going behind the counter of a sandwich shop she does not work at to grab a large knife which she then waves around to intimidate other patrons who are getting into an argument with one another. Anywho, back to Brittany. There is no context for this incident whatsoever. Jamie Lynn doesn't attempt to explain what it was Brittany was scared of or if something in particular triggered her fear, but given what I know about Brittany's life at the time, I find it really hard to believe she was just being paranoid. It's mentioned earlier in the book that people would frequently break onto their family's property just trying to see Brittany. Could she not have been freaked out by the presence or threat of an intruder? In a different section, Jamie Lynn even says her and her mother once locked themselves in a bathroom because a man parked his van in front of their house. That response is portrayed as totally acceptable, but Brittany locking herself and her sister in a different room due to her own anxieties is somehow evidence of paranoia? Moving on, Jamie Lynn says Brittany started experiencing emotional fluctuations that JL called episodes around the birth of her two sons. Predictably, the behavior involved in these 
episodes is never explored except for on pages 62 to 63 where she accuses Britney of being distant, moody, less amiable than before, and agitated and angry. She's not normal. She cannot be normal. The one example we get of this behavior is when Britney got into an argument with her mother on the set of Zoe 101. This scene was actually depicted in the Lifetime movie Britney Ever After, and I hated the reference there too. My lawyer's coming for you, so you better buckle up. <laughs> I can only go off the rumors and speculations regarding what this fight was about. But supposedly, Britney was upset with her mother because Lynn had been seeing Britney's kids without telling Britney while Britney was not able to visit them herself, and allegedly Lynn might have also been flirting with Kevin Federline? I don't know. But whatever, Jamie Lynn does not say what the argument was about, so readers are expected to accept that Britney had no reason to be upset with anyone. Every expression of negative emotion is naturally unjustifiable because Brittany is not being amiable anymore. How dare she? Page 71, Jimmy Lynn says the whole scene around Brittany's home in Malibu made her uncomfortable. She does not give an example as to why. On page 83, she makes reference to Brittany's condition to explain why Brittany was not told of Jamie Lynn's teenage pregnancy. She had to learn about it from paparazzi. What the fuck Britney's condition was is unclear. But once the conservatorship was put into place, Jamie Lynn says the arrangement had a positive impact on her relationship with both Britney and their father, saying they held each other accountable to stay sober. Even in this book, however, it has never been established that Britney struggled with any kind of substance abuse, so why Britney's sobriety was ever a point of contention, I don't know. I can only guess that Jamie Lynn's problems with her father's alcoholism just caused her to project all of those same issues onto Britney. I just probably selfishly looked at it as like, I don't everybody's sober right now. Like, I don't have to be anxious for the first time, you know? That's, again, just me speculating, but it's not like Jamie Lynn really gave me a lot to work with. But this is where Jamie Lynn admits something that is kind of incriminating to her father, a man who does have known problems with alcohol. She writes, We started to spend some time together and heal our battered relationship. He apologized to me for the years of humiliation and embarrassment. Moving past my experiences of the previous two years helped me see Daddy was trying his best to do the right thing, and for that alone, I slowly let him back into my life. Jamie Lynn is referring here to the time after the conservatorship started, the conservatorship that required Jamie to be drug tested regularly. A 2021 article from the New York Times states, in 2014, Mr. Ingham told the court that Ms. Spears believed her father was drinking according to a transcript of the closed hearing. Lawyers representing the conservatorship responded that Mr. Spears had voluntarily submitted to regularly scheduled alcohol tests and never failed. Mr. Spears' lawyer said he took one random test but refused to take any more, calling the request inappropriate. Absolutely inappropriate, the judge replied, and who is she to be demanding that of anybody? Who is it? 
turns out, though, Brittany was right. Jamie was drinking at times during the conservatorship. Jamie Lynn said so. She said, I slowly let him back into my life. There were stipulations that included healthy behaviors and absolutely no drinking. For the most part, daddy manages his end of the bargain until he doesn't and I have to kick him out of my life for a while. Well, I'm glad you had the option of kicking him out of your life, JL, cause your sister fucking didn't. Of course, there are other matters covered in the book besides Jamie Lynn's perspective on her sister's quote-unquote struggles, like JL's teenage pregnancy and the slut-shaming she endured from the public as a result, the ATV accident that hospitalized her daughter and nearly took her life, or the abuse she faced at the hands of her former boyfriend and baby daddy. That stuff is all mentioned, but none of it is explored with any depth because... It's just stuff Jamie Lynn lays out every few pages as the book narratively unfolds to its penultimate chapter that I think encapsulates the actual point of this entire project. The chapter is called My Testimony, and I already want to scream. Rereading JL's book for this video has already gotten me super heated, but I forgot how much I fucking hate this chapter. Just the fact that it exists, period, is so disrespectful and disgusting. Like, Jamie Lynn, your sister used her testimony to publicly speak on the abuse she endured for over a decade for the first time. She was forced into treatment against her will where people wouldn't let her change her clothes in private. She had an IUD inside her body that she couldn't remove. Your father made her complete tours and concert residencies under the threat of a lawsuit knowing she couldn't hire her own representation. By the time this book was published, we already knew that your father was recording your sister in her bedroom without her knowledge. Not only do you not mention any of that in your many passages about your sister, you come out with a chapter called My Testimony where the entire point is to just be like, but what about me though? Do you worry that by speaking your truth that it will harm your relationships? Well, nobody ever really considered me, but... <laughs> so let's see what Jamie Lynn's testimony is all about. She opens saying, On June 23rd, 2021, my sister broke her silence in regard to the oppressive nature of her 2008 conservatorship. Throughout the weeks that followed, she had the media and internet world stage to speak freely, to share her truth. Again, for the first time in 13 years, she had the opportunity to speak freely. Usually, when someone says another person broke their silence, it's implied that they were silent by choice, but that is definitely not the case for Britney. As Oprah would put it, she was not silent, but silenced. Whatever. During a couple of her statements, she made sweeping allegations, using words like, my family, and those who should have helped. At no point did my sister lift the veil on what or who is truly responsible for her challenges. By excluding this, she allowed an onslaught of hate that put me and my family at risk. You guys are going to be shocked to discover who Jamie Lynn thinks is truly responsible for her challenges, but let's move on to JL's own little pity party as she accuses her sister of throwing her to the proverbial media wolves. By throwing her to the wolves, by the way, she means that Brittany vaguely referenced my family in her June testimony with no names, and then wrote something shady on her Instagram about Jamie Lynn singing one of Brittany's songs at an awards show. That was the harm that Brittany inflicted onto Jamie Lynn at this point, 
whilst, by the way, she was still processing the trauma of being abused and exploited by her own father and management team for over a decade. Then Jamie Lynn writes, I want Brittany and the world to know she isn't the only one who is left with the scars from her early years of delinquency and manipulation. Bitch, fuck you so hard. And that's not even the worst thing she says. She goes on to say, My sister's diatribe assigns blame outward without any self-reflection. Oh yeah, Jamie Lynn, your sister should really do some self-reflecting so she can figure out how she is actually to blame for all the abuse she suffered. It was actually her fault the entire time that she had no bodily autonomy or privacy. How dare she think to blame anyone else for the abuse other people inflicted onto her? And still it gets worse. She says, If I am guilty of anything, it's of enabling the situation to continue by not speaking up earlier in her career. I am now just coming to terms with how my family's philosophy of making everything appear fine and excusing Britney's behavior has led us to where we are today. Excusing Britney's behavior has led us to where we are today. First of all, what behavior? You've yet to give one example of Britney doing anything that is unambiguously harmful to anyone. And second of all, fuck you. Even if Britney's moods were kind of erratic, that didn't give your father the right to enslave her to a career she couldn't control and purge her of her basic human rights. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you ever say something so callous and cruel out loud? Well, I guess she didn't say it out loud, she wrote it. But don't worry, she'll say plenty of shit on mic that's equally as heinous during her short-lived promo tour for this memoir, which she began on January 12th on Good Morning America. Words that you've used in the book to describe her behavior over the, your lifetime was erratic, paranoid, spiraling. How do you see your sister's state of mind currently? I can't really speak to anyone else's state of mind. I don't think that's- Oh my fucking god. You spoke on it for your entire book. That's why she's asking you about it. Let's, let's discuss the contradiction. It's not the only contradiction Jamie Lynn will make in her interviews. While talking about the conservatorship specifically, she claims total ignorance to what such an arrangement is and how it works. And yet, in an effort to criticize her sister, she claims that Britney's conservatorship only went on as long as it did because Britney simply failed to follow Jamie Lynn's own legal advice. I've always been my sister's biggest supporter. So when she needed help, I set up ways to do so, went out of my way to make sure that um, she had the contact she needed to possibly go ahead and end this conservatorship and just end this all for our family. If it's going to cause this much discord, why continue it? I did take the steps to help, but how many times can I take the steps without, um, you know, she has to walk through the door. All right, so I'll humor you, JL. How exactly did you open the door that Brittany neglected to walk through? I just think she needed a new lawyer. Like, he was either comfortable or he just wasn't really there for her. You can disagree with what someone says, but his job was to voice it anyway, you know? So I just felt like she needed new legal representation. That was my overall thing. 
So Jamie Lynn is right. Britney's court-appointed attorney, Sam Ingham, sucked. He reportedly went behind Britney's back several times to give information to her conservators that benefited them. He would even tell them if she swore in front of her kids, like a fucking tattletale, while Britney was in disputes with her ex over custody. Britney did need a new attorney, and she got one, after her testimony in 2021 was heard all around the world and the Free Britney movement had gone fully mainstream. What Jamie Lynn leaves out of her discussion of events, however, is that Britney had been trying to hire a new attorney since the start of the conservatorship, but the judge overseeing her case declared that she was too incapacitated to hire her own representation, thus Sam Ingham was appointed to her. Adam Streisand, the first lawyer Britney tried to appoint, was ejected from a courtroom in 2008. I already played the voicemail Britney left in 2009 for a different attorney she was trying to employ. And in a recent article from The New Yorker, Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino revealed the shocking extent Britney went trying to get decent representation. And then there was a long struggle by Britney Spears to get a lawyer to break out of this thing. And that's one of the most astonishing things to me in this story, Dan and, and Jonathan. You know, we, we, we found that she had gone to just about the greatest lengths anyone could go to to get her own counsel, including arranging a meeting with a contact in a steam room in a hotel where she was handed a cell phone in a Ziploc baggie so she could try to call a lawyer. I mean, that is not the behavior of someone who is so incapacitated that they should have no legal rights, essentially. And yesterday, we finally saw her get her own lawyer. So that's the culmination of years and years of her trying for that. So Jamie Lynn acting like Britney simply failed to call a new attorney for 13 years is so insulting and dismissive to her situation that I can't believe JL even has the nerve to pretend she was ever trying to be helpful. But let's see what else she did to open that door that Britney decided not to walk through. We told my sister many times all she had to do was go live out of state for six months and the conservatorship will be absolved because she'll take residence in another state. I told her this um, many times. Great idea, Jamie Lynn. She should have just moved to another state for six months. Not sure exactly how she would get there, considering she was under surveillance at all times and wasn't allowed to drive her own vehicle without supervision. In fact, the person who first alleged that Brittany was placed into a mental health facility against her will said that the final straw came when Brittany did take her own car and drove to an in and out without permission. Even if she could physically get her car keys and drive to a different state, what was she supposed to do for six months when she got there? How was she supposed to take up residence anywhere without access to her bank accounts that were controlled by her conservators? And by the way, what might an unexpected move to a different state do for her custody arrangement over her two sons? You can't just pick up and move without telling anyone, then expect to keep the same custody rights. Jamie Lynn says that she offered to let Britney live at her home with her in Louisiana for six months, which is especially interesting because JL floated this idea in 2020, even though Jamie Spears had already petitioned in 2019 to expand the conservatorship's authority to Hawaii, Florida, and Louisiana. You fucking moron. Following Jamie Lynn's appearance on Good Morning America, Britney took to Twitter for her first of many rage-fueled responses to her sister. They're truly some of my favorite things Britney's ever written. 
The next day, after an extended version of the same interview aired on Nightline, Britney called Jamie Lynn's story about her locking the two of them in a room with a knife a crazy lie. Jamie Lynn then posted a message to her Instagram shaming Britney for publicizing their conflict and blaming Britney for her family receiving death threats. But your mouth is faced towards the camera. You're consciously choosing the camera. You're consciously making a conscious choice to talk towards the camera. I know it sounds childish, but sometimes you started it is actually a completely appropriate response, and this is one of those times. I'm not going to excuse anyone sending Jamie Lynn death threats. That is absolutely not okay. But it's also pretty well known that anyone who exists on the internet and says something controversial on a public platform is gonna get some inappropriate backlash, often including death threats. And it's not like Jamie Lynn hadn't already been heavily criticized by Britney Stans prior to her testimony. She was always under scrutiny for not speaking up for her sister. She then chose to write a book and go onto TV victim shaming her. It's not Britney's fault the people are mad at you, Jamie Lynn. They're mad at you for things that you did, and did very publicly. I do have more things to say about Jamie Lynn and the bullshit she spewed about Britney and the conservatorship, but it's not even worth the time. Ultimately, as much as I don't recommend reading her book for the sake of enjoyment, I can't resist telling people to go read things I should have said just to see how much Jamie Lynn's bitterness toward her sister's success infects her perspective on basically everything. To some degree, I think Jamie Lynn is another victim of this situation. She seems to have been taken advantage of by many of the same people that abused Britney. The difference is, those abusers were able to use Jamie Lynn's jealousy as a manipulation tactic to turn her against her sister, who was actually trying to break out of that cycle. The person I have even less of a problem vilifying is the family member who most recently decided to speak out against Britney's newfound freedom. He's not a Spears technically, but he's close enough. Of course, I am talking about Britney's most infamous ex-husband, Kevin Federline. Though believe it or not, K-Fed is still not the worst person Britney ever married. I love you girl, but we have to talk about your taste in men. Sam seems nice, though. Hey, I, I saw your Instagram story. I know you're upset with Jamie right now. Can you guys ever be on good terms? I hope so. Once he yes. starts treating his daughter right, right, then we can be on good terms. Trust me, I really try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I was one of the last stands to turn on Jamie Lynn, because I never wanted to make assumptions about what was or wasn't happening behind the scenes to help Britney. But eventually, the evidence started to expose JL as being complicit to the point of cruel in regards to her sister's abuse, and I had to accept that. Similarly, I wanted to believe, issues of the past aside, K-Fed might actually turn out to be less shitty than everyone thought. Maybe he'd do what was right and support his ex's freedom, for her sake or for the sake of their shared kids. And it did seem like that for a minute. In 2019, when Free Britney was emerging as a frequently trending topic on social media, K-Fed appeared to be anti-conservatorship, or at least anti-Jamie, who was Britney's conservator. After an altercation between Jamie and one of Britney's sons, Kevin took out temporary restraining orders against Jamie in his son's name. Jamie Spears was not able to be around Britney's kids anymore, at Kevin's request. Surely, if Kevin thought Jamie was a danger to his children, he'd agree that his children's mother needn't be subject to the same man's abuse, right? Apparently not. 
Like Jamie Lynn, K-Fed waited until Britney gained her independence to begin publicly chastising her. Also like Jamie Lynn, reports have emerged alleging that Kevin was profiting off Britney's now-terminated conservatorship, and though I don't know if those reports are credible, I do know that Kevin's been financially dependent on Britney's income for years. In 2018, his attorneys requested that Britney begin paying him $60,000 a month in child support, with the justification being that Britney's estate was earning millions of dollars per year while K-Fed doesn't have a stable job and thus no stable income. While in court to fight this out, Britney was ordered to pay over $100,000 toward Kevin's legal costs, cause again, he doesn't have any income of his own. One must wonder if Kevin's most recent statement against his ex have been motivated by the fact that Britney is now a free woman, able to hire her own attorneys, and their two sons will both be adults in about two years, which will necessarily cut off Kevin's only guaranteed paycheck. KFED is now decidedly Team Jamie. I wasn't involved in any of it, so I really don't know how the conservatorship came about. I don't know whose decision it was, I don't know. All I know is that you have a family that is worried about their daughter and trying to do whatever they can to help her. Okay. That's all, that's, that's all that I knew. So you feel Jamie might have saved his daughter? A hundred percent, I feel like he saved her back then. Kevin's opinions about Jamie and the conservatorship are abhorrent in how he disregards his own ex-wife's abuse, What's worse, though, is his eagerness to use his own children to publicly humiliate her. Britney's former husband, Kevin Federline, says he understands Britney's anger. But he also wants her to know sons Sean Preston and Jaden were thrilled when their mother's conservatorship was overturned. Both of them were happy for her, you know, because it's not always about what's right. What do you mean by that? It's about, this is what mom wanted. It first started in June of this year, as reports emerged the day at Britney's wedding that she was getting ready to walk down the aisle, Kevin's attorney decided it would be appropriate to publicize the fact that Britney's kids would not be in attendance for their mother's big day. Considering Britney's sons were rarely the subject of public conjecture, it was an odd statement to make. Nobody other than those at Britney's wedding needed to concern themselves with the guest list. It wasn't anyone's business whether or not her kids were there. At least at that time, no reason for this decision was given. They laid out Britney's personal life for public speculation on her wedding day, but that's still better than the most recent development when Kevin decided to twist the knife he'd stabbed through Britney's chest by telling the world not only that Britney's sons haven't seen her at all in the last few months, but that they made the decision to stop seeing her because they were too embarrassed by her posting nude photos on Instagram. I'll spare you the entirety of my rant about how this criticism of Britney plays into our culture's dehumanization of mothers, but the idea that Britney is a bad mom just for expressing her own sexuality is pretty blatantly misogynistic, and it's not like Kevin Federline is the first person to ever use this kind of rhetoric against a working mother. Have they seen your show? Have you say seen your Vegas show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's it like, do you think, for them if you're wearing like a racy outfit and you're sort of giving it- I think it, they feel like, oh my 
like... No, I'm saying... No, what is that like? I feel like they, they know that's mommy performing. Mm -hmm. That's what I've done since I of course. was a little girl. So they kind of... You know. Jenna Dewan Tatum is facing some mom-shaming criticism for this risque shot of her bare backside on a balcony in London. Although the 36-year-old looks great, some of her fans reportedly didn't appreciate the post because she is a mother. Us Magazine reports that they made comments like, you have a kid, shame on you, and she's a mother and married. Shaking my head, disappointed at Jenna. Seeing Kim with Pete... All I want to do, and it's the same with, like, Megan and MGK. Like, I literally want to just be like, where are your kids? Where the fuck are your kids? And why are you gallivanting around? Do your, do your boys say work bitch? Do they go, mommy saying work bitch? No, Can they, they say that? No, they can't say do that. Do they know that that's on the track on there? Yeah. Kim, who is proud of the butt-bearing image, posted a few snapshots from the spread on her Instagram page. And in response, Glee actress Naya Rivera wrote, I normally don't, but you're someone's mother. I already hear some people responding and saying, oh, but it's embarrassing for her kids. They have to go to school and hear about it from their classmates. And yeah... Part of growing up is figuring out how to navigate embarrassing situations so you can learn to be secure enough in yourself that you don't become a victim of your own circumstances. They're two kids with two famous parents. They have to learn how to deal with the attention that gives them because they're gonna be dealing with it for the rest of their lives. And I would think, by the way, that being the children of Kevin Federline would be way more embarrassing than anything the boy's mom could do. His debut album, Playing With Fire, sold just 6,500 copies in its first week of release and went on to become one of the worst-reviewed albums in music history. Perhaps this could have been a good teaching moment for the boys to really internalize the fact that women deserve respect no matter the amount of clothes they are or aren't wearing. Instead, their dad is giving televised interviews, basically supporting the idea that Britney should base her own self-expressions upon what's most convenient for her son's high school reputations. If that interview wasn't disrespectful enough, Kevin doubled down and did something so out of pocket that I can't believe this man has the audacity to criticize anyone's parenting. After Kevin's initial comments about Britney's Instagram, Britney and her current, far superior husband Sam posted in defense of Britney's right to hashtag free titney. Sam took some jabs at Kevin's lack of employment and rightfully stated that Kevin's character is revealed by his support of Britney's conservatorship alone. He also pointed out that any embarrassment Britney's boys feel regarding her choices are not reason for her to be disrespected publicly. One of the responses Britney made was a little more weighted by her obviously hurt feelings. She laments how her sons would ignore her while living in her home, then one day stopped visiting her without warning or an explanation. The worst thing she says about them is that they were hateful in their treatment of her, and while that's not a nice thing to say about your sons publicly, can you really blame Britney for expressing her pain in such a blunt way after her own ex was already shaming her so publicly? At the request of her sons, by the way, who also participated in the piece Kevin was being interviewed for. Like the back and forth between Britney and Jamie Lynn, Britney didn't create this mess. She was merely using the freedom she'd only recently gained to defend herself against the shit her own family started flinging at her in the media. 
Of course, Kevin didn't respond kindly to Britney sticking up for herself, so he decided to publish two videos recorded by Britney's sons without her knowledge onto Instagram in another effort to shame her. Because honestly, I'm kind of like the number one parent in America right now. I'm not going to play the videos here. They were taken without Britney's consent, and both of them are too brief and cut up to even make sense of. They show Britney yelling at her sons, but the clips are too short to show the context of the arguments. I will emphasize, though, that nothing all that shocking happens in the videos. Britney's just angry with her sons. We don't see her getting physical with them. She doesn't say anything to personally insult them. The worst thing she says is, I'm scared of you because you're weird, because you're going through puberty, and I don't know what to say. It's not a competition, but... My parents have definitely said things way worse to me than just, you're weird. And they did say that. Now, it is totally possible that if I'd witnessed both of these events in full, I would say that Britney was overreacting. I know for certain that if I were to watch a reel of every moment of every parent's life, I would find some event in which I thought every one of them handled a situation badly. Parenting is a full-time job, and you're going to lose your patience or react poorly to a situation eventually. That's normal, and nothing a mother should be publicly shamed for. In fact, as much as I don't condone Kevin releasing the footage in the first place, it definitely backfired on him as other moms took to TikTok to share how relatable they found Britney in those videos. Perhaps there are worse moments in Britney's life, moments in which she was being blatantly abusive to her kids. But if this is the footage that Kevin and co think is incriminating enough to release in the first place, I kind of doubt it gets that much worse. Like, if you want to argue that Britney's a shit parent, you're going to have to show me something way better than this. Because if this is as bad as it gets, I'm kind of forced to conclude you've already decided that nothing Britney does is good enough. She can't even get mad at her kids without getting accused of being insane. According to Kevin, Britney's sons wanted those videos released. One of them was also interviewed for a segment that later aired on 60 Minutes in Australia, during which he defended Jamie Spears and repeated a lot of his father's talking points about the conservatorship helping Britney. I'm not going to show any of that because I don't think it was right for Kevin to subject his kids to this amount of scrutiny in the first place. I also have to say to all the Britney stands upset with her sons for participating in this, realize that their kids whose mom has been in a conservatorship for a vast majority of their life, they literally grew up being told that their mom is severely unwell and cannot take care of herself. But I, I just try to explain to them that she, your mom needed help, you know, and, and the people were in play to try to make that happen, to make it better. They've been conditioned to look at their mother through that lens. Anytime she disciplines them or yells at them, they've been implicitly told that they don't have to take what she says seriously. Even the state of California decided that mom's insane and doesn't know what she's talking about. If you gave any teenager an opportunity to paint their mom as unreasonable whenever she's mad at them, they're probably going to take it. So why did Kevin give them that opportunity in the first place? Publishing those videos was irresponsible beyond their potential effects on Britney. 
Kayfed put his sons in a position to be portrayed as having a public feud with their own mother. He knowingly opened them up to the backlash of his ex-wife's gigantic fandom, a good portion of which is made up of other teenagers who are naturally going to be less understanding of the boundaries between fan and public figures and their families. Now Britney can be blamed for her fans harassing her kids, despite the fact that it wasn't Britney who publicized this private conflict in the first place. Even after Kayfed's attorney announced that her kids weren't coming to her wedding, Britney didn't say shit. She only spoke positively about her children on social media, but Kevin decided to weaponize their adolescent angst against her and them just to advocate for a man he once filed restraining orders against. The reason, by the way, that the boys didn't attend Britney's wedding is because they felt uncomfortable with the fact that she didn't invite other members of their family. You know, the people who exploited and abused her. It's just sad. With what Britney endured in the conservatorship, she is under no obligation to ever speak to her family again, especially her father. But everyone in Britney's life has been belittling her trauma for so long that her own kids are punishing her for not forgiving the people that held her captive for over a decade and spent her money. And I don't blame the boys. Again, they're kids who I don't expect to understand the severity of what happened to their mom. I'm also not gonna say that they don't have good reason to be upset with her. There's a very real possibility that Britney is unwell and has behaved in ways that were hurtful to others. I won't discount that because, to me, proving that Britney's completely fine mentally was never the point of the Free Britney movement. Whether or not she suffers from any mental illnesses, it doesn't excuse the evident abuse she endured within her conservatorship. In fact, it makes the abuse worse because why would you force an extremely ill woman to headline world tours and carry her own Vegas residency? What if Britney had one of her infamous episodes on stage in front of thousands of fans? Why would you set her up for that if you were really that concerned about her mental state? And with all the shit that's been alleged about Jamie Spears' Team Con and their mistreatment of Britney, even if she went into the conservatorship totally sane, she's crawled her way out with trauma I can't even comprehend. Of course she does stuff that's weird sometimes. You know that saying, if Britney survived 2007, you can handle today? Yeah, 2007 was the year before the conservatorship was put into place, and all this other shit happened. Britney survived way more than just 2007, but instead of her own family commending her strength to get to where she is today, they've come together in a smear campaign against her that is so severe, they're actively trying to gaslight her by attempting to convince the public that she was responsible for the abuse she endured and is unreasonable for not forgiving her abusers. For that, I must repeat the mantra of one of the 21st century's greatest icons and implore everyone to just once and for all, leave Britney alone. The conclusion, the hardest thing is to just know that they were just being mean and I really felt like my dog was trying to kill me and I hope he burns in fucking hell.